Podcast One. Hey everyone, and just a quick warning about this episode. It may contain some strong language and material of a sensitive nature like discussions around mental health, sex and suicide. If any of these topics are distressing to you or if you know someone who might need some help, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. This is the Listen Able podcast where we, myself, Angus O'Loughlin and Dylan Alcott, uh, try and share the stories of people living in the disabled community. Yeah, and Gus, when we came up with this idea, we wanted to shine a light to change perceptions on what people with a disability can really do, but also educate on what it's like to live with disability. And I think when people think about disability, they think, oh, someone in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or but maybe someone with like one leg or whatever it is. And I think one of the disabilities that is probably the hardest to understand is sensory disabilities like autism and Asperger's. And I know when we started this, you're like, mate, do I have to do like some Googling? I don't really know much about mm. this. And that still remains true, but you told me not to, to come in as the every everyday person who knows as much as they know from just seeing headlines and whatnot and reading occasional news stories on people with disability. The other thing about uh, people who live with sensory disabilities is that they're unseen most of the time, especially just from like walking down, you know, walking down the street, you wouldn't understand. And here's the thing. I saw an article this week actually about a parent who has a disabled daughter and she parks in a disabled park. Uh, and someone yelled at her because her daughter has an unseen disability. Like, you shouldn't be parking there. How dare you rot the system? And I really felt really, especially now being part of this project, I feel, felt so uncomfortable for that mother of that child with a disability that she has to go through that weekly, daily, whatever it is. And I think it's important to celebrate neurodiversity, Yeah, uh, which this next speaker does every single day. I was lucky enough to speak on a panel at for International Day of Disability, and... I normally think of myself as the best speaker on any panel, Gus. On any day, in any given room and situation. Guess what? (laughs) I was not. This lady was so impressive. And one of the things that I found most impressive is the way that she describes what it's like to live with her disability. It really gave me a new lens to look through because I could really understand it. And that's why we are both so excited to have her here today on this enable. and I am an artist and I'm also third Dan Blackbow in Taekwondo but I've stopped that now and I'm starting tap dancing so I'm going to start working my way towards being a triple threat (laughs) just like Shirley Temple my biggest role model great and Prue what is your disability Well, I actually don't identify as having a disability. I identify with identity first language. So I'm an autistic person. Very good. So what is that? For everybody that doesn't know, what what does that mean? We started in the disability community. Our history starts with medical language and that, um, that says disabled person so it's the medical language first and that the person themselves are disabled and then came along the disability social model and the social model of disability uses person first language so person who's a wheelchair user person with down syndrome and around the 70s I think the deaf community 
made a stance and started using identity first language. So person first language is like it's not the person that's disabled, it's society, the way that we've designed society that's disabling. An example for the autistic community is bathrooms having Dyson hand dryers. So a lot of the autistic community actually use the accessible toilets because it's in an environment they can control mm, um, yeah. because otherwise I need to pee with my ears blocked. It's pretty full on. That's... It's like our kryptonite. It's really, <laughs> really hurts. Wow. Um, a lot of autistic people like open the door slightly and check to see if there are Dyson hand dryers and if they see them then they run and use the accessible toilet. Because the noise is too much? Yeah, because our senses are connected with our fight, flight, fright reflex, it means any time, I mean, depending on your sensory profile, everybody's got their own individual sensory profile. Mine is actually very hypersensitive to sound and smell. So my brain, the way that it processes that information is that it processes it too much and my brain doesn't have enough time to process the information so it becomes painful and it can make my brain shut down. Um, but yes, back to identity first language, it doesn't really make sense to me that um, I would be a person with autism because it sounds a bit like I have a cold and I'm going to get over it one day <laughs> and that's not going to happen. Nah. Whereas being an autistic person, like, it's my brain, you know, that it's my brain and it's who I am. And if you took the autism away from me, I'd be a completely different person. So I, um, I strongly identify with identity first language. When you and I hung out last time, you explained what it's like having autism so well. Can you give people that don't have much of a knowledge around what life with autism is like? How do you explain it? Autism's basically a different processing journey and it's a much longer, highly detailed processing journey because um, I did look at one study that uh, happened in America uh, of a neuroscientist and he said that the autistic brain develops... 67% more neurons than the average brain in the second and third trimester of pregnancy. And at the age of two, we all have the most neurons we'll ever have, everybody. Mm. And after that, we do a thing called neural pruning. So it's like we've got all our neurons and they're connecting and that's making neural pathways. And the way that we think, it's kind of like muscle memory with sport, but it's through thinking patterns. The thing is that at certain ages, developmental markers, which is where autistic people get picked up um, because we're not hitting those typical, those average developmental markers. So the neural pathways are branching off, you know, they're growing like a bush and bushes grow at different rates. One branch will be really long, another one will be shorter. And then at ages like five, seven or eight, 13, that gets pruned off all at the same level and then it starts growing again and autistic brains don't do that as much so we already start with a lot more neural pathways but then we we're consistently got more throughout our lives well we've got a bit of a prop in the studio as well Prue you are still in ahead of time to bring in essentially a glass jar which is here and also some dollar coins what are we what's happening here well 
Dylan uses a lot of high-level and figurative language. Okay. And so what does that mean? So high-level and figurative language is like sarcasm, idioms, old sayings. So it's things like I remember when I was a kid and I was in the car with my parents and brother it was raining really, really heavily and my mum said, oh, it's raining cats and dogs. <laughs> and I looked out and said, where's the dog? And I got my heart broken because it was just the rain pouring down. So you miss some sarcasm in conversation, so you take things more literally. Yeah, I take things literally. <laughs> right. But also like a lot of it um, with sarcasm, it's a tone of voice. It, I, I actually class sarcasm with lying Lying, white lying and sarcasm all sit, they're all cousins. So every time we say something that is hard for you to process, we have to put a dollar into our pot. Does that work for you? It's more like every time you use language where you're not saying what you're meaning and meaning Correct. what you're saying. So okay. I, I already then I'll do my best to pick you up. Maybe Teddy can be my indicator too. Good. Yeah. I owe you two dollars <laughs> already. Studio. Okay. Because oh, when really? we talked the other day okay. before coming on this podcast, it was quite a hot day. And I said, Are you cool when you come in if we film the podcast? And Prue said, No, I'm not cool. I'm hot. <laughs> gotcha. So, so one. I also said this. Okay. When you get downstairs Give me a bell and I will come down and get you. And she goes, I don't have a bell to give you, but I can call you. There you go. So we are officially at $2. People who are watching this on YouTube or online, they will be able to see our bowl, but we will keep us truthful. So Teddy, your partner is in the studio, like he can indicate if maybe something goes over our head. Yeah. As in, it's literally not going to go over your head, is it? It's not going to go over (laughs) your head. How good is this? Okay, great. So we're away. It's a great way to, I guess, understand a bit better what it's like for you to, you know, live with autism. How did you go growing up? How What was your childhood like? How did other kids and other people that you met treat you? Well, I got bullied at school a lot. So did I. <laughs> mm. And um, I used to get cornered a lot and they call me Pooh. And that was, I used to say to my mum, why did you call me Pooh? This is just too oh. hard. I really, and my parents would say, don't worry, just like Winnie the Pooh the bear. And I was like, but it's a silent H. <laughs> you don't get it. You've forgotten what it's like to be a kid. So you were bullied at school. Were you bullied based around having autism specifically or just kids being kids? Well, when I was a kid, nobody knew what autism was. Mm-hmm. And when I went to my first primary school, I wasn't diagnosed with autism. Right. I actually, when I was seven, I got misdiagnosed with ADHD and put on Ritalin and got really bad side effects Mm. for a very long time. But at primary school, uh, my first one in particular, the kids would, I, I think they were bullying me. I probably wasn't picking up the social cues and I was just an easy target, mm. um, you know, fun game. And I used to get cornered against a wall and get yelled at and I didn't have the skills to be able to get out of that situation and I would get my fight, flight, fright reflex up so I would hit and kick them and run away. And I, including doing that to teachers because back then teachers were allowed to touch students. Mm. So I... Um, did have the principal grab me one time and I bit her finger and that was when I got expelled from that school. <laughs> um, 
amongst doing a few other things. <laughs> naughty things. Yeah, but I was always the naughty kid, not because I wanted to be. I went to a disabled school after that and um, that was really good respite. There were between 25 and 31 students there. However, in that time that I was there, I got diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and that was explained to my parents like I have an illness that I'll never get over. Um, you know, it was very negative and um, my parents really didn't want me to have a disability. They saw that, you know, I'm highly verbal. I, um, you know, I can do things that don't fit the stereotype of autism. I'm actually the furthest away you can get from those stereotypes. What, what are some of those misconceptions and stereotypes? Stop for two seconds. Good. All right, so I'm just going to explain something that just happened then. During Dylan's question, I asked Dylan to stop so I could save the recording just in case something goes wrong in the matrix and we lose everything. And when I did that, I said, guys, can we just stop down for two seconds? And you started counting. And it took longer than two seconds. And you knew it would. So, so guess what? Thank you very much. Another dollar in the jar. And we continue. Now, what are some of the misconceptions or stereotypes that people put on people with autism that aren't true? Well, it really comes from the beginnings of the research with autism, which started in the early 40s. And there was Hans Asperger and there was Leo Kanner. So Leo Kanner was in America, Hans Asperger was in Germany. The etymology of autism, the very beginnings of that word, means selfism. So already you can see the links with schizophrenia there, which from the 80s and before, a lot of autistic people were misdiagnosed with schizophrenia, put in institutions. Basically, those stereotypes come from the, those two research bases from the 40s. So Leo Kanner was very selective in the way that he was looking at what autism is. He basically said that an autistic person is a boy who is uh, not aware of his surroundings, not interacting with his environment, he's doing repetitive behaviours and he's not intelligent. Hans Asperger, he was looking at what a lot of people call the other end of the spectrum and he was looking at young boys who he would call his little professors. So already there's a gender stereotype, mm. but also his little professors were people that young people who were um, not very good at social communication. However, they knew an extensive amount of information about one particular topic of their interest and that they could be four years old and standing up in a university and giving a lecture to a bunch of adults about that interest. So when Hans Asperger's work was translated into English around the late 80s, early 90s, that's when the idea of the spectrum came up. Mm -hmm. And the spectrum was basically like a lot of people thought of it as low-functioning autism and high-functioning autism, and there's a line connecting them, and you can move along the spectrum. And this is also when they didn't believe that there are autistic adults that we grew out of our autism. Mm. So there's no sort of resources for autistic adults. One, And it's still, it's getting better now, but there's still quite a gap between uh, once you finish being 21, then you just fall off and there's not much support there um, to get into the workforce. 
but uh, also um, with the spectrum, the way that I was explained the spectrum was that um, that I am Asperger syndrome is like high functioning autism. And so there's like autism on one end of the spectrum and there's neurotypical on the other end of the spectrum. And the harder I work to get my skills to um, be, be neurotypical or be like an average person um, accessing society, the, the um, more rewards I would get, the the closer I got to autism, the more punished I got. Mm. So, um, you know, by the education system, mm. by my parents who didn't have any education around that, no support. So I, I actually didn't really have any friends until until much later in life. How did that make you feel growing up? With well, not, with it was my friends. biggest goal. My biggest goal was making new friends. That's awesome. That's really what I wanted. That was like if I had a special interest as a young person, it would be making new friends. And so that meant that with those two things coupled, it meant that I got exceptionally good at passing for a neurotypical or masking my autism. So I would use all of my capacity just to put up filters to behave mm. the way that I was expected to behave. And, of course, instead of that capacity going towards me getting educated, it went towards me making friends wow. and fitting into society. And that's very common for a lot of autistic people. Now we don't use the term high and low functioning because it is very harmful language. It means that I might be seen as high functioning now but then I go home and I'm exhausted and I have a meltdown, my brain shuts down, that I will be low functioning and that is not valid. That is, um, you know, harmful to others around me and it's not do it's not practical. So a lot of guilt comes from me uh, having my brain shut down and it's taken many years to kind of learn to take these filters off mm -hmm. and re kind of learn how to be autistic, which is much better for my mental health. That sucks you have to pretend that you're not the person yeah, that you are. Yeah, the know. word masking really sucks yeah. to hear. The thing is that when society was really getting designed the way it's designed today, we were all in institutions, yeah. so we didn't get to participate in that design, mm. which now we're starting to, you know, get our voices and be heard, be listened to, and that's really exciting. But, like, you look at Dylan and I and we're white Australians and our families are fairly well off, you know, well off enough to support us. And there are a lot of families out there, people that have multiple disabilities and their second language is English or they don't speak English. And if we're not getting the support, our family's not getting the support, then you can imagine all these other people that are just finding all of those loopholes. 1.3 billion people around <laughs> the world. And you're so true. We're lucky we're born where we are, aren't we? Because our lives would be very different. You've got your partner... Teddy, how did you guys meet? Uh, on a rainy Tuesday night at the Coburg Castle and uh, share house in Coburg about... Eight and a half years ago now. Oh, Eight wow. Eight and a half years ago. Yeah. Did you think when you were growing up you struggled to have friends? Did you ever think you weren't 
potentially going to find someone to have a relationship with? Uh, well, my my goal has not really been strongly in finding a partner. Um, it's really been making friends. Would you want to get married one day? Nah, I'm not that silly. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a reason why? If I probably got married to Teddy, I would not have my DSP anymore, oh. most likely. Ah, right. Disability support. Pension, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, there's one reason. So it's all about the cash. It's not all about the cash. <laughs> it's just that, you know, I really depend on that support. I would not be able to do what I do without that support. And I, my, you know, the second goal, one, first one, making friends, second one, being independent. And, and I am very hungry for my independence and always have been. And I, particularly around the age of 15, 16, I really realised that um, I was very dependent on my parents and that's not what I wanted. I want to be an independent person, being part of society, giving back to society. But the fact is that I got expelled twice and suspended seven times. I wasn't educated. I couldn't access the things that other people can and I need that support from my family. So I also need that government support with my brain because it's highly detailed, it's much slower. It's like if we were to go from here to Flinders Street, you would probably go via tram stops and I would go via buildings with the expectation of your speed of time. Can we talk about your intelligence? You, you speak so eloquently, like you've got great turn of phrase. I can hear immediately that you're highly intelligent because you said you got expelled twice, suspended seven times. Where did this learning come from? I actually don't believe in intelligence. Okay, please. Let's um, break into this. Yeah, I really, I, I feel like it's really holding the human race back, this idea of intelligence. And I think that you know, I look at the disability community and I think we're the most diverse community there there is and we have so much to say. However, the idea of intelligence, that's one big thing that is really holding our community back because we're not hearing from the perspectives of people with intellectual disabilities or Down syndrome. Deaf people are seen as unintelligent because they don't speak verbally or some do. But it's so true and it's not the case, is it? Yeah, no, um, they have a lot to give to society. And, and the other thing I think about is that when you have an idea and that idea doesn't get challenged, it's not often a very strong idea. But if your idea gets challenged by, say, the disability community with access needs is a really good example, that that idea becomes really strong and it then becomes universal design. It's strong enough to to hold everybody, almost everybody. So um, it's, you know, with the disability community comes a lot of creativity because you have to think, and I'm going to put a dollar in the jar. Okay. You've got to think outside of the box. Hey. Hang on, hang on. Where's the box? Ah, thank you. Very good. There you go. I'm going to go rule playing. Now, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. There's a big present on the table. I've actually bought more than one present. So it's not, is it, I was hoping it was just me, but it, it's me and Angus, is yeah. it? Yeah. Angus, present. he wants as well. How do you get a present for me? I mean, Dylan, you have a, a relationship where you've been in circumstances. I've known him for one week. one week. I know, but still, it's still more back history than me. You've known me for one hour. 
<laughs> not really, because Dylan told me you're one of his best mates. See? Okay, okay. I right. did say that. Okay. I might have been putting a bit of mayonnaise or GST oh. on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, you put a bit of dollar in. Have you ever heard that saying? Putting mayo on it? Extra white, but no, he is one of my best mates. What have we got? I'm ready. I'm ready no, for the presents. I need a translation first. Yeah, mayo. What's so the put, mayo? Um, like, putting a bit of extra lie on top of it. Let's say. On top of a story. You're yeah. lying to me? No, I was pretending. I, he is one of my best mates. I was just saying it to make him feel a bit bad, but he, he honestly is. Yeah. You were saying he was one of your best mates to make him feel bad. And then bad. I said a joke like, oh, maybe he's not, but he actually is. This how do you say no to that face? Not working. He's not explaining <laughs> that at all. You yeah. know what I think would make him feel really good? Mm. What? If you genuinely told him that he's your best mate. He, Angus, you are genuinely one of my best mates. I very much enjoy our relationship and hanging out with you. There you go. Does that make you feel better? It makes me feel better. Yeah. Good. I good. think that's so much better than mayo. Yeah, it's true. Um, so present time. Back we to the presents. Woo! I'm excited. Apart from a couple of dollar coins, we, I feel really unprepared. So it's actually... Presents from Teddy and I. Thank you, Teddy. Teddy, your partner. So in we studio. have Teddy who's in the studio right now. Present number one, Teddy. Oh. Do you want to do, or I'll do, I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. This is for you, Dylan. It's uh, wrapped up in brown paper. I want to be delicate with it. Beautiful. Can you explain what it is for us, Prue, for the people that obviously can't see? It's an embroidery work with, it's in an embroidery hoop and it says, your neurotype is valid. I love that. Which I hand embroidered. You hand embroidered this. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Can I give you a hug? Yeah, sure. That's nice. That's very nice. Thank you. No worries. Okay. Present number two. You know what? Everybody's neurotype is valid. Yep. Everybody's different mm-hmm. and whatever their neurotype is, it's valid. I love that. This is from Teddy. This is Teddy's new album that not oh. really anybody has heard before. <laughs> really? So, two this is his solo album. Two years in the making. Like, I've never used a CD player in this radio station. And it works straight away. Straight away. This is, this is Teddy live. live. Glass of wine, table set for two. Appetite at your side from the head of the menu. Steal a glance of me and I do. What's this one called, Teddy? Uh, that one's called Peppercorn. Peppercorn. Good. Prue's loving this. She's loving it. This actually has high level and figurative language in it. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, Teddy, put Teddy, a coin in. Put, a dollar in. <laughs> put it in. Thank you. Before we let you go. Dollar coin. We're not oh, actually holding yeah. it. Oh, um, it's good. It's good, isn't it? I love that you're getting autism training. While yeah, we go. Um, hey, everybody is listening as well, which <laughs> yeah, is awesome. Now we have something that we call the bowl of uncomfortable, where we ask people questions they might not normally get asked. Uh, you don't have to answer it, but uh, we'll do one each. So I'll go first. Um, do you regret having autism, and would you change it if you could? I feel like uh, if I was a kid in the 90s I would definitely want to take it away but um, being able to learn how to speak both neurotypical and autism has set me up well for being able to advocate for the autistic community and I'm in a very lucky generation where I am in the first generation of autistics to not be institutionalized and be able to access society 
diagnosed. So not able to immigrate to any other Western country, but I am able to advocate and be part of society today. And I, I have worked very hard for it, which is disappointing, but I also just love people and I love I love being autistic and I'm actually really lucky in that my brain, I can feel my brain. So um, my brain, can, it gives me some symptoms like say my brain will shut down and I'll be um, or I'll have a meltdown and that is just my brain saying I'm tired and I need a rest. A lot of other people don't get that so they don't know that they need to have a rest as much as I do. I also... Um, really am glad that you know I'm part of this community that is just highly skilled and highly aware you know hyper aware of the environment and um, that you know what we can achieve with support is just infinity it's just amazing so I um and I and I enjoy sensory seeking I just love sensory seeking mm -hmm. so it's, um, you know, if I wasn't autistic, I wouldn't be as hypersensitive in my vestibular sense. Mm. Um, I might be, but, you know, there are autistic people that aren't autistic who have a different sensory profile as well. But um, You have an incredibly vast vocabulary yeah. as well, yeah. which is impressive. Okay. Answers <laughs> <laughs> it, it with the simple letters. Apart from Dyson hand dryers... What are you most frightened of? Um, probably police officers. Why is that? Well, police aren't trained in autism and they don't really seem interested in getting trained in autism. They have the right to grab people. And oh. when I'm in the supermarket, for example, and I am too tired and my filters start coming down and I start behaving like my natural autistic self, I do get quite anxious because I look at that security guard over there and I go, mm, is this going to escalate really quickly? Because I'm in the fruit and veg section right now and I'm starting to stim. I feel like my brain is just going to shut down and the other customers might notice this and try and comfort me. And because I am a small female, people want to comfort me. They don't see me as a threat, which is really lucky, but that they often will try and comfort me with a hug or touching me. And if I'm having sensory overload, then them touching me lightly is going to cause me extreme pain. It might feel like a knife cutting into my skin, like because I get so hypersensitive and I could get you know, flashbacks from primary school where I used to get cornered and have these behaviours that I've been punished for so many times and then the security gets called. For me, I know that the police most likely won't get called, but if I put myself in the position of an autistic man who is six foot three, mm -hmm. then the police would definitely get called and they could get touched. And, you know, that the amount of autistic people that are in jail and probably don't want to leave because there's much more structure in jail is huge. What's the one bit of advice you'd like to give to anybody listening, maybe of parents of kids with autism or somebody who's listening with autism that isn't proud of the person that they are? Remember to self-regulate and um, 
to allow autistic people to self-regulate however they need as long as it's safe for them and safe for others. So, you know, you can always find ways that it is safe to self-regulate and um, and that's really important. Can I give a second piece of advice? You can give two only because I like you. So the second piece of advice is that if an autistic person is past the point of return where their brain has shut down and they actually are not able to be rational to just ride it out and wait until that's finished and then once that's finished you can start communicating with them again. You're so impressive. Really are. I'm really glad we met each other. Thank you so much for coming in. And I'm glad you guys met each other so then I get to meet you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, I know you're a great artist, you've got an awesome Instagram. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, well, I've got a website, prustevenson.com, and you can also you can go to the contact page and that is linked to my email, stimyourheartout at gmail.com. Stim your heart out, that's <laughs> Love awesome. That. It's been a great learning. It's been an incredible episode and uh, it's been just lovely to meet you. At the end of the day, so thank you so much for being Keep part of this. Being you, because mm. you're advocating and helping a lot of people. Now, what are you going to do for this? What are you doing with all your money you've got? I'm going to give it to a maze. Okay, okay. Great. okay. Amazing. You know what? We're going to top it up with some more coins. All right. Yeah, you're going to have. Are you ready? Just say, hey, bang them in. You can have all the dollar coins. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, it's oh. raining cats and dogs and coins. Oh, there you go. Thank you very much. This is something that I'm going to be learning the whole time is identity first language versus disability first. Yeah, exactly right. And it's so interesting. I chop and change between them. Like oh. I'll say, I don't, because to me, I don't live or die by it. Do you know what I mean? But that's just pers- me personally. Of course. It can be deeply offendi- offensive to people if you say it the wrong way around. But also, it's interesting because even I'm learning that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even know what that was yeah. not that long ago. I just kind of lived as me. And it's so interesting because I love that identity. I'm probably more so identity first. Because I own my disability. Mm-hmm. I couldn't care less. I love it. And it's so cool, man, that I'm learning as well mm. through this podcast. And, and I think everybody out there is as well. And I will never walk into a toilet the same. I will always look at a Dyson hand dryer now and go, okay, someone with autism cannot really be in this room. It's so true because those things go off. Never thought of it. And guess what? <laughs> they scare the crap out of me as well. Yeah. Imagine having a neurodiverse <laughs> right? disability. Uh, thank you very much to Prue. If you want to learn, obviously um, we gave out her details there, but they'll be in the show notes if you want to get in contact with Prue. Uh, but let's check out our next guest, which is a comedian. And I said, I want to do comedy. Open mic, what's the go? He goes, don't have an open mic, but come to the pro show and I'll squeeze you on. I was like, all right. Straight in. And he goes, here's three dates, pick one. I picked the furthest one from the day I was emailing him because cool. I, like, I need time. So six weeks, he goes, see you in six weeks. And that was four and a half years ago. We can't wait for you to meet Ollie, uh, where he does a stand-up set based around his disability, and it's going to be absolutely awesome. We can't wait for it. You know what? If you know anyone else with a disability out there or living with disability who you think's story is worth sharing, please get in touch via our socials. And also, uh, speaking of our socials, our Facebook group, it's a group there. We're trying to build a community around Listenable. Search there. Uh, Maybe you're in a remote location with autism, and you've heard that story and it struck a chord. Jump on Facebook. Chat to Prue. She's going to be there. And if you know anyone who's hearing impaired as well, no one is getting left nope. out of the Listen Able podcast. Head over to YouTube. You can see our ugly faces, as in you and I are ugly, Gus, and the, <laughs> and the captions on the bottom so anybody can read along. We'll see you on the next episode. Listen Able.
Listen Able was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.